Good morning, City Hill. It's good to see the valiant Christians who have pressed through the snow. Now we know who the real Christians are, right? No, I shouldn't say that. I was, I, that'd be a bad thing to say. Um, could you cut that off the tape there, please? That would be... Uh, we are grateful for Facebook Live. There are people that have been not feeling well who are watching on that, and the snow is quite a factor this morning, so it's good to see everybody. Happy Valentine's Week to everyone. Notice week, I was uh, looking online and I didn't really realize this before, but there's a whole week dedicated to Valentine's events. So today is chocolate day. So, hey, didn't know that, you know, um, chocolate day. It's a, probably the best day of the whole week. Um, Monday is Teddy Day. And I had to figure out what exactly that was referring to. Um, some is teddy bears, so you give teddy bears, cute little teddy bears. Who doesn't love a, a teddy bear? Um, uh, one of the in-mode things to do is to give a teddy dog, which I think a teddy dog is one of the cutest little dogs you could ever imagine. And then be it in a Valentine Romantic Week, there are those who would give teddies, but we're not going to show any pictures of that <laughs> this morning. Then we have the Promise Day on Tuesday. Now, I thought it was interesting having a Promise Day. Does a promise only last till midnight? I don't know how that works. Promise Day on Tuesday. Wednesday is Hug Day. It's a good day. Give somebody a hug on Wednesday. Thursday's Kiss Day. Keep that a little more focused on who those kisses are being shared with. And then Friday is Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Week. I just think it'd be best if we just declared this as a Valentine's year. That we just find a way in the love of Christ to extend more love to people, show more kindness, like she said, reach out to those who may be on the margins of life, and that we would grow as Christians of showing love to each other, even when people don't ask for it or don't deserve it, that we would be those who continue to share his love. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are love. And God, we're just very aware that we lack, that our abilities to really express your love are limited in ourselves. But God, fill us so much. Father, fill us so much with your love that we would just overflow that to a world who so desperately needs the real thing. In Jesus' name, amen. 2020 is our year of freedom. It is, we've had different sermons on this so far, freedom to belong. That you are, have the freedom to belong to the body of Christ. And we just say here at City Hill, please step in. Don't stay in the margins, but you're free to belong to who we are as a body of Christ. We spoke of freedom from debt. There is a freedom that happens when you're out of debt. Hallelujah. Let's get out of debt. And we're praying, we're asking God for some big things. We're asking God for freedom for debt for us as a church, our long-term debt. But we're also asking for freedom for debt for you. That God would challenge you, look at the debts, attack it. Maybe it takes more than a year, I don't know. But believe God that God will set us free from the debt that enslaves us. Freedom to glorify God in good times and bad. You know, the message of last week has been hitting a lot of us. How do we glorify God while we wait for his answers to prayer? 
How do we glorify God when life is not as we want it? When things are not lining up the way that you had planned or dreamed, how can we glorify God today? And I believe that God has answers for us, ways we can glorify God even while we wait for the answer for our prayers. This morning I want to talk about freedom to trust God for big things. And remember this, here's a key point that ties freedom messages together, that true freedom is learning that you are most free when you live according to God's design. That when we align ourselves to how God has made us to work, that's when we really experience freedom. It's not just doing whatever we want, wherever we want, in any way we want. It's submitting ourselves to the hand of God, and then we find out how we're really designed, and that's where we find real freedom in life. So our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel 17. And I'd like to invite, i got four readers with us this morning. Four readers, come on up. I'd like to read through the entire chapter. You guys can share these. The entire chapter, the story of David and Goliath. And it's 51 verses. And I'd just like to challenge you that as we read the scripture through, you let the scripture really get yourself into it. Don't let yourself go off in your mind into other things you got to do later on today. Focus on the scriptures and let the story that God has for us here land in your hearts. Go ahead. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at the Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephesdimim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammai. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. 
For 40 days the Philistine came forward and stood his stand, took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring them some token from them. Now Saul and they and all of the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard him, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eli, Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for them. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Phil this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from his flock, went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has def defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord will be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. 
So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, with his shield bare in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, I am, I am a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. Amen. Thank you, ladies, for reading today. Let's hear it for these guys. Thank you. Let's be clear. We are at war. There is an enemy that is out to destroy anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. John 10.10, 10, the words of Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So when you're wondering if something is of God or if Satan may be somewhere involved, think of these words, steal, kill, and destroy. There is an enemy that wants to take you down. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The schemes, the strategies, the plots, the plans of the enemy are to take you down, and our defense is to put on the full armor of God. So what are these devil's schemes? It's good to analyze your enemy so that you can better prepare for his attacks. I would say the number one way that Satan attacks us is through his lies. Satan is called in the scriptures the father of lies. And I tell you, I've never seen in the world so many lies. I mean, I, I avoid going much into the politic area, but one thing I can say about politics today is you have two sides that are going, lies, lies, lies. They're just screaming at each other, lies. And then we get to look somewhere and figure out what in the world is truth. It's hard to know. 
It's in the media. It's in our families. Seeing so many families are battle, and the answer is that's not true, that's not right, that's a lie. It's hard to know what's true. In our work, in our schools, there's so many ways in which there's battles, and the, the battle often comes around what is truth and what is a lie, and Satan is quick to take us down or to try to take us down through his lies. But then it gets a little more personal. It gets to our own hearts. It's one thing to defend yourself from something you see on the media. But what about the lies that you battle with inside your head? The lies that are going on. It doesn't take anybody else to be involved with these. It's where Satan comes to tear you down, to beat you up, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And one way you know it's of Satan, because it's always negative. It's always pulling you down. It says, you can't do that. That's not possible. That's never going to happen. You just hear that negative that's saying, you can't think that way. You won't go there. You're not worth that. You're unable. And Satan comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. His main weapon of choice is lies. A second weapon that the enemy would use is fear. As I've been reading about fear, I realize that we are in an epidemic here in America with anxiety, with panic, and with fear. There's tremendous fear that we struggle with inside and outside of the church. And Ephesians 6.12 says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, we know the word of God is true, right? That the battle, there's a spiritual battle going on, but you know what the hard thing is? It sure looks like people, doesn't it? I mean, that person that's really bugging you, that person that's making life difficult for you, looks like a person. They're talking. They're right there, and you may go, well, I hear that, but it's that guy, it's that boss, it's that coworker, it's that family member, Let's not say the devil made me do it. It's, it's that person. And yes, there is people involved. Yes, there are people that we battle with at times. But there's a different level. There's a level that beyond that person, there is a spiritual battle going on for our soul, for our lives, for our joy, for our peace. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So it's important for us to realize that we are at war. You know, David, the shepherd boy, understood this intrinsically. David, the shepherd boy, somehow he understood this. He got this truth. They estimated that David was about 16 years old. At 20, you were able to go into war. And three of his brothers were old enough to go into war, and they knew there were eight brothers, so... The estimation is, okay, that between those oldest three, there were four more, and then David. And he was a young man, so he was probably, figured out, somewhere in the area of 15, 16 years old, too young to be a warrior. And David had this glorious job of bringing snacks to his brothers. Now, I don't know what they ate on the battlefield, but my guess is they had something like rice and beans. And they are a stew. And this is, you got your 
spoonful every day and you got, you know, this is your food. Armies tend to not eat very well, especially in those days. And the dad says, we got some breads, probably some tasty breads made at home and some cheeses. Bring these to your brothers and find out if they're okay. He wanted to make sure his kids were alive. The challenge of people in the military sending their kids, I, I really can't imagine. I've not had that experience. But I know sending a child off to war would be a traumatic experience for any parent. And he said, I want to make sure my boys are okay and bring some cheeses to their captains. I love the strategy of that. It's always good to keep the boss happy, right? And the captain's making life and death decisions over these, and you kind of want to make sure he likes your boys. And if the boys are alive, there might be more cheeses. Who knows how this is going to work out, but they bring some specialty food to the boss. And David shows up, and what does he find? He finds Israel on one side of the mountain, camped in a valley. They, they gear up on this side of the mountain. Then there's a valley, and over here you got the Philistines. And they're camped out, and every day this giant... This massive man named Goliath comes forward. Now the Bible explains his height about nine and a half feet. That's not what I said last week. And I was wrong last week. So in case you wonder, um, the information I gave out, when you're wrong, just say it, right? Um, I read some wrong information and didn't check it very well. Should have known better. Um, he was nine and a half feet tall. And a cubit's about 18 inches. So he was six and a half cubits, about nine and a half feet tall, and he was a monster. He was massive. He instilled fear in anybody that would consider fighting him. He was an undefeated warrior. And the Israelites were cowering in shame and in fear. For 40 days, it said he came out. Imagine this. Every morning, they'd all gather, and he'd berate them. Then they'd go have lunch. And then in the evening, he'd come forward and they'd all gather again and he'd berate them. Twice a day for 40 days. 80 times they cowered. 80 times they let him beat them up. And I thought, you know, that is the way the enemy does it to us, doesn't he? He's relentless. It's not just like he tells us a lie one time. But he beats us and he beats us. And morning and night, and you lay in your bed and your thoughts go round and round. And the enemy continues to pound us with our fears and through his lies. And that's what Goliath came and did. And they set up, instead of just, let's just gather in the valley, kill everybody, find out who's the last man standing, they had this system they developed. And the concept was, all right, you bring your best, we'll bring our best, we'll let these two guys fight it out to the death, and whoever is left standing that nation wins and the other nation will serve them. That was what was put forward by Goliath. But when he came forward each day, he didn't just challenge the men, but he also challenged their whole identity. He says to them, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. He defied the entire army. He defied Israel, was known as a nation set apart by God. And here's this man saying, I defy who you are. I defy this God that you serve. 
no one can stand before me. And you know, when the Israelites, just try to picture them, probably normal-sized people. I don't know how big the Israelites would have been, you know, probably fairly like us, maybe 5'10". They're looking at this nine-and-a-half-foot monster, this giant. They look at his spear. He's got this massive spear, and they got these little sticks. They look at this strong man with all this armor, and what they see is he's big and powerful. I am not. There's no way I can beat him. You ever felt that way? The, the challenges you face in life look just too big. They're just bigger than you. And you say, the challenge compared to me, I lose. And Israel looked at it, and we call that practical. We call that pragmatic. It doesn't make sense in the natural to look at this incredible fighting machine and here you are with your shield and your, your spear and this guy's got everything on his side. You go, whoever go out, goes out there is going to lose because just do the math. This guy is better, better prepared, better armed. We're going to lose. But then a young man named David shows up bringing snacks. This is not your plan for how to win a war. Fight him with somebody who's not a warrior. Fight him with somebody who doesn't have an armor bearer, who doesn't even have armor, doesn't have a sword, doesn't have a bow and arrow. But here's the deal. Here's how I think I want to illustrate this today. Israel's looking through their glasses. They can just see kind of normal glasses, and they look at it, and they go, these are real. This gives me clear vision. We're going to lose. You're going to love this. <laughs> David had big glasses. Now, this is supposed to be big, not bling, okay? Just see big here. David had eyes of faith. I can't see you all, so I'm going to take these off. David saw through the eyes of faith. He looked down on this giant. He looked down on this giant. This giant was a man. And I want to say very clearly that we must face our giants. Faith does not mean denying the reality the physical reality that you're living in right now. It does not. David didn't say, what giant? There's no giant out there. I don't see him. He didn't cover his ears when, when Goliath would defy the armies. He didn't go, la, 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 I don't hear anything. I can't hear you. He didn't stick his head in the sand and say, there's, there's no armies out there. He's not that big. I hear people sometimes who are sick who say, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, as they're really sick, as they're struggling with cancer or with the flu. They, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. In the name of Jesus, I'm not sick. And I go, the first step, I believe, we are to face our giants in our life. 
The blind people in the Bible didn't say, I'm not blind. They came to Jesus looking for sight. But they faced the giants in their life. And I do not believe it's a lack of faith to face the giants. I've known of people who have had their eyesight prayed for, had bad eyesight, and they take their glasses and they throw them out the window of their car because God's healed their eyes, although they can't see very well. And somehow that's a step of faith because I'm trusting Jesus. And if you were to get pulled over by the cop, that wouldn't really work. Because they're still struggling with their eyesight. So I believe the first step of faith is to face your giant clearly. What's the giant in your life? What is the battle that you're facing? If you've got a debt, tally up your debt. Put it on paper. Say, here is my giant. I'm doing that currently with a son of mine paying off a school debt. It's a pretty normal situation. And we're, we've put out the giant. We said, this is it. This is how big it is. How can we attack that in Jesus' name? And how can we believe God to do better than even what we think we can do in the natural? We put it out there. We don't say, I have no debt. It doesn't work that way. So that step number one, we have to face our enemies. And David looked at the giant. He understood his armor. He understood the armor bearer he had. He understood his armor. He looked at this man, but he did so through the eyes of faith. Through eyes that saw differently than everybody else. So here's this whole army of Israel, the people of God. Where was their faith? Why weren't all these people saying, we can take him, I'll go. They're cowering in fear for 80 times being berated by this enemy. And David looks at his enemy, but through the eyes of faith. Now picture how different this looked. David's going, God and me. Me with the power of the living God is looking down on this little man named Goliath. See, Goliath should have been trembling in fear. Because God could just go, the real perspective is that David with God, there's just a little giant down there. But David knew that he with God could do incredible things. David says, listen to his scripture, what he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies, not of Israel, of the living God? These are the armies of the living God. Who is this guy that thinks he can stand up against the living God? I asked the question, where did David get his faith? How do you get faith? You know, sometimes I hear people say, you just need more faith to get healed. There's some truth in that. But remember, when we are believing God for healing. We don't have faith in faith. It's not that I need, it's not the faith that's healing us. It's God that heals. And it's not just okay, more faith. Just grit your teeth and more faith. I just need more. It's, it's not just somehow welling up more faith. 
It's faith in God. And how do we grow in faith? And I just want to say, I want to focus on the word for a moment, grow. Faith is a process. We grow in faith like we grow in our physical bodies. It's a process. And David started small. We hear about the lion and the bear. But my guess is he probably started with coyotes. He probably started with the small, the dogs or the coyotes, and he'd nail them with his slingshot. He was getting pretty good at that. And then, then maybe there were some wolves. And he grew bit by bit. And then you hear about his major conquest, that he took down a lion and he took down a bear. Now, personally, I just don't know anybody that's fought a bear with their hands. Probably had a knife. And this, this kid was, had enough courage to go after a bear and kill it. Pretty amazing. And as he did that, you know, the challenge would be is to say, I am really something. Look what I did. Look how strong. Look how agile I am. But David never did that. In every success he had in life, he continued to realize this success is due to God working through me. It's God who works in and through me. His question when he faced Goliath was not, am I strong enough? Am I quick enough? Am I, you don't hear him say, I am such a good shot that you're going down. I've got aerial assault. You, I can get a distance in here and you watch what I can do with this slingshot. You don't, you don't read that. What you read is David saying, I am a servant of the most high God. And God with me is bigger than you. We read in verse 45, you come to me. David, just picture his viewpoint. He's, he's got these God glasses on. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. It's like, seriously? You think those things are going to make a difference? And, and the giant was probably like, darn right. I got a sword and I'm going to kill you with this. And he's going, no, no, no. I come to you. In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. I mean, he's not going, hey, could we like uh, calm this thing? No, he's going for everything here. And I'll give the dead bodies of the hosts of Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that for the purpose of, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And I just want to stop for a moment. The purpose wasn't just so we'll be okay. The purpose wasn't just so you can see that at least somebody in Israel is strong and valiant. David said, in the middle of this problem, this is how we're going to glorify God. I'm going to kill you and the world's going to go, there is a God in Israel. To God be the glory. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David had learned in the smaller things. 
I want to encourage you, when you have victory in the small things, I know people who God has really given great faith in the area of healing, and they start praying for people with a cold, and they see God move. And they pray for somebody who has an elbow that hurts, and they see God move, and you may go, but God's building their faith and their knowledge and their wisdom step by step. They pray for someone's leg to be lengthened, and they pray, and bit by bit, their, their faith grows. It's a process of learning to trust God, and I want to challenge you. This is a challenge we have. When you are facing the battle of today, stop and remember God's faithfulness of yesterday. I want to say that again, because when, when I face it today, it's like I forget about all the times God provided, and I think, but what about today? I don't know what's going to happen today. This might not happen. It's like, stop. God has not changed. He's been building these things in you. As I trust God for finances, I remember trusting God for 20 bucks. It's a tough thing when you really need 20 bucks. I remember going to a paint store and just thinking, how am I going to buy this? And just struggling at that level and the guy in the paint store hears about the ministry and he goes, you know, I'm just going to pay for this myself. I'm thinking, what? Nobody pays. The clerk does not pay for your paint. And I said, no way, not going to happen. You know, the pride jumps up and God's like, no, you need to let this happen. And I learned to trust God for 20 bucks. And then I remember trusting God for a down payment on my house and trusting God for different, and watched, see $1,000 come in. You go, oh, okay, God's big enough for 1000 What about 10000 Oh, no, there's no way God's that big. And then God provides 10000 I've seen God do crazy things. Got a phone call with a guy giving me access to $360,000. It's a nice phone call, right? Seeing God do, and it's how big can you grow? It doesn't mean that everybody needs to be at the same level, but you grow in faith. And David started caring for his sheep, and he killed these wild beasts, and he looks at Goliath, and he goes, this is just one more wild beast. I've killed wild beasts before. This isn't a big deal, because I have God with me. Remember what God has done. I just want to tell you that when you step out in faith, you will have opposition. And we sometimes think when we step out in faith, it's all, this is by faith, God led me, so it all should go just beautifully easy. It never works that way. When you're stepping out, when you're going to make a difference, you will have opposition. So don't be surprised when you hit it. And David's opposition, first of all, began with his own family. So I say that I think that's the hardest. I think the battle that David had, as much as anything, he's got big brothers, right? He's the runt of the family. He's this eighth kid, you know, he's out there, the shepherd boy, and he's got the big, strong firstborn. And what's Eliab say? When he spoke to the, he heard his brother when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep out in the wilderness? I mean, not even the shepherd. Well, you, you know, it's got a few little stupid sheep out there. And who have you left them with? 
I know your presumption, the evil of your heart. You've come down to see the battle, you little twerp. I added that part. I mean, you can hear it dripping off him, can't you? The big brother going, who do you think you are? Would you just shut up and quit causing a stir? And you're just coming down here to watch the fight. Few sheep, you loser. Evil of your heart. This is it. Now he's attacking his character. See, you've got, you've got a bad heart in this thing. And David didn't back down. I think a lot of people would have gone, yes, big brother, and, you know, I'm supposed to submit to that. And I just, David's like, hey, give me a break here. And then that's one. Secondly, he faces Saul, who tries to put all the armor on him. And it just doesn't fit. He says, I've not tested these things. Another opposition you have was, how do I fight using somebody else's strategy? And then thirdly, he faces the giant. Now, so Satan didn't take him down with a brother family or with some strategy that wasn't his. And then you have the giant. And Goliath looked on him and saw David, and he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Can't you just hear this? The Philistine cursed him by his gods. So somehow the Philistine looks at him and says, you embarrass me. You're, you're just a little kid out there. And he curses him by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And with all of that, David didn't lose heart. He didn't lose courage. He kept his eyes on the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Was David afraid? I hear it. Okay, let's vote. How many of you think David was afraid? How many of you think he had no fear at all? All right, fear wins here. Um, I think David probably felt fear. Doesn't say. So you can all guess. But my thought is when you're realizing your life is on the line and you're going against a mighty warrior, was there some emotions of fear in his heart? It's very possible. And I just want to say, Nelson Mandela has a famous quote where he says, courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. And I think we have to just tell ourselves that we're emotional beings. And when we're dealing with things, there's going to be emotions. And if you're going up against a giant and you feel fear, well, you're alive. It does not disqualify you to be scared or to be anxious at that moment. But David did not let that stop him if he felt that. And I just want to close by saying God gives us the courage or the freedom to trust him for big things. I want to say that again. In a year of freedom, God gives us the freedom to trust him for things that are bigger than our, ourselves. Don't just trust God for the things you can figure out that all make sense. God calls us to trust him for big things. Psalm 2.8 says, ask of me and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. Well, that's pretty big, right? How many of you have asked God for the nations? John Knox in the 1500s is known by the statement, give me Scotland or I die. He was asking for the nation of Scotland out of his love and passion for the nation. 
here at the church. Something bigger than us that God's put on the leadership's heart this year is to ask God to finish off our debt retirement. It's $575,000. It's bigger than we can figure out. Hallelujah. Let's see what God will do. So I, Pastor Kent, that's a lot of money. I know. And I can't figure it out. Hallelujah. Might we fail? Yeah. Sure. But we're trusting God and we're moving forward, believing God for it. On your personal finances, can you figure out how to get out of debt? Probably not. Praise the Lord. We need the Lord. You can watch what God will do. And so I ask you, what's the giant in your life? I want to have the worship team come on up. These stories we think of as children's stories. They make great pictures in children's coloring books and in the books that we teach our kids and we ought to. But there's a message there for us today. And I would challenge us this morning. Let's just put our notes aside. And open your hands before the Lord. What is a giant that you face? The giant that you go, I am unable to do this in my own strength. It's kind of scary sometimes to face those giants because... Well, they're giants. They're, they're bigger than us. They're frightening. But I think the Lord wants to give us, even this morning, a, a step of faith, a dose of faith, a portion where we would say, Lord, I present the giant to you this morning. And God, we come looking for you to help us defeat that mountain, that wall, that giant that's before us, be it a relationship that's broken, be it a financial problem that overwhelms us, being a health challenge that we don't know how to heal. And Father, I ask that even as we've seen you done, do things for us, smaller things, God, give us the faith to trust you for the big thing in front of us. We admit very clearly that it's not by sword or spear or javelin or shield. It's not by armies and horses that we win the battle, but the battle is the Lord's. The Father, we trust you more than anything with these battles, Lord God. God, I'm asking you that you would come and give us victory over the things that have attacked our families and our health and our lives. And God, we ask for freedom and breakthrough this year. You did it for David. You can do it for us, God. Just take a moment and let the Lord minister to us this morning. And these battles may be for negative things we want to see change, but they also may be for victories that we want to step forward in. And God, I pray that you would put challenges before us that are bigger than us. Challenges that we don't really know how to face or win. And God, we give those to you as well today. Those, those things that 
are bigger than us. God, give us vision like John Knox. Give me Scotland or I die. Father, I pray that you would put passion in our heart where we've let passions die that would say, God, give me this mountain. God, give me this family. Lord, give me this ministry. Lord, give me what I'm asking of you so that the world will know that there is a God, a powerful living God alive today. Come, Lord Jesus. Give us faith, Lord. May we choose to trust you as we face the giants of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you're our guest this morning, I'd love to greet you at the Welcome Center on the way going up.